I just want to talk to you about this resentment. And as we think about this resentment, as we think about all that's going on, look at verse 1. It says, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. As we, as we think about this and as we prepare to dive into this, we see this group of people, this group of brothers, this group of people have come to the city of Jerusalem and they're in this project and they're seeking to rebuild it. Now, as we've seen them, un seen them working and we've seen this unfolding, uh, we have seen the enemies that have stood in opposition to them. They, they stood on the outside and they were opposed to the Jews. And we saw how the enemies surrounded all of the Jews. They surrounded all of Jerusalem. That's where the opposition was. That's where the enemies were. And while the enemies were there, we saw Jerusalem standing in unity. They were in this together. Each one of them was building their section of the wall. In spite of the opposition that was outside, they were in this together. And, and they were moving forward with this project. That's, that's what we've seen happening. And then we see that there's a great outcry here. And it says, uh, there were, arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives. You know it's serious then, right? <laughs> we do know it's serious. Now, think about this. In this culture, the wives weren't to be vocal about things. But we see the wives are vocal about these things. And so this is the outcry that's taking place. And notice this outcry is not against the enemies. Wouldn't you think that would be where the outcry would be? But we don't see that as being where the outcry is. It says there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Against those who were in the city. Those who were there in their midst. The enemy, that's where the enemy is. Uh, Remember that old saying, we've met the enemy and he is us? That's exactly what's going on here in Jerusalem. The people of Jerusalem are divided. And we see the people of Jerusalem being divided and they're in four different groups. Look at verse two. It says, for there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. So this group of people, they are relying on others for food. Uh, they didn't own any ground. Due to exile, they have lived away from the agricultural lifestyle, became merchants and other professions. So they don't have crops. They don't have fields. They, they just own their houses and their, their little shop, and, and that's, that's what they do for a living. So they're relying on other people to, to buy food from other people. And they find themselves starving. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. It's a pretty serious thing when it gets to that point, right? I mean, I can skip a meal for a few days and it doesn't, I don't, there's a fear I'm going to die. But in all actuality, uh, if I miss a Reese's in an hour at my Reese's break, I'm really not going to die. But this was a fear. They, they needed food. Starvation was, was knocking on the door. And so that's the first group. They owned nothing. They were without property. But look at verse 3. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain 
because of the famine. So there was a famine that was in the land, and this group was mortgaging their fields. Now, we don't know why there was a famine. We don't know if this famine was due to the population increase. Remember, Nehemiah just moved a bunch of people in. Uh, with people in exile, their fields were not being uh, worked. They were not being planted. So simply due to the more people, uh, less food, that's kind of hard to make a little bit of food go further. And so that could be a part of it. Uh, the famine could just be the result of weather-related issues and, and the crop just wasn't good. But this group of people owned property, but they didn't have food. And so what they were doing was mortgaging their property to get money to be able to purchase food uh, because they didn't have the crops that were needed. And as a result of this, this group of people mortgaged their property to buy food. And because of that, they've mortgaged all their property and they have no more to mortgage. And there's now a lien on their property. And because of that, they are lacking food. Now notice the next group in verse 4. It says, there were those who said, we've borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. So the taxes were high. And because the taxes were high, they had to borrow money against their property, using their property as collateral so they could pay the king's taxes. And so financially, they're in a tight spot as well. They didn't have money for food, and they're in a financial bond. And this is where this group is at. Now look at the next group there in verse 5. It says, Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it's not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Now the previous three groups are kind of in a tight spot. But this group, this final group, is guilty of exploiting the other three groups. This group is well off. This group has the funds. And basically what's happening here in Jerusalem is the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And the rich are the ones who hold the purse strings. They're, they're in control of this whole, whole circumstance. And this was taking place among the people that they should have been looking out for one another. Remember how they've just come from exile. They're a group of people that are going through a tough time. And it's their own Jewish brothers who are, who are doing this to them, that are denying them the food that they need and exploiting them. And that's what's taking place here. And as you think about this, there's a, a little bit of selfishness here. There's a little bit of self-centeredness here. There's a, a little bit of greed here. There's a little bit of insensitivity to the needs of their brothers. They're just, they're just worried about themselves. The other groups have gone so far as to sell their children into slavery. They couldn't help it. Things were that kind of condition in Jerusalem. Now think about that. They're rebuilding the walls. But why rebuild the walls when all of this is going on on the inside? Hard to stand against our foe when this is taking place within our midst. Now notice the reaction. We see the reason for their resentment. But notice their reaction in verse 6. 
Nehemiah says, I was very angry when I heard these outcry, when I heard their outcry and these words. Now think about this. Nehemiah comes as governor. And his mission, his job was to get the wall rebuilt. And so that's where his focus has been, is being on rebuilding the wall. He's been involved with, with dealing with the exterior opposition, not the interior opposition. But all of a sudden he hears this outcry and he's unaware of this condition that's going on within their midst. And it says that he was angry, that he was very angry. And I can imagine Nehemiah being that way. And, and I think Nehemiah should be. There's people that look at Nehemiah and say, well, you know, Nehemiah wasn't a very good leader. Uh, he needs to get control of his anger issues. But you know what? There is a good anger. Things that anger God should anger us. And this is definitely something that would anger God. We don't see Nehemiah angry at Sandalat. We see him rally the troops. He understands that there's opposition there on the outside. It's going to happen. That's natural. But here in their own midst, it shouldn't be this way. And because these are God's chosen people carrying out God's mission, he's upset with them because they're infighting, because of the way they're treating one another. And the way they were treating one another was not right. And so, yes, he's angry about it. He's very angry about it. Now, notice what verse 7 says. I took counsel with myself. I read verse 6 and I was excited. I thought we were going to see a knockdown drag out here. It says he took counsel with himself. He took a moment. He took a breath. He thought through things. He didn't go to Facebook right away and share on Facebook. All right. He didn't call his neighbor on the phone and just say, man, can you believe this? And start talking to other people about those other people. Been a great time for him to do that. Have you ever had those disagreements with people? I, I know we haven't, but we know people who have. We disagree with people and we say things that we can't take back. Sometimes that happens in our own homes, doesn't it? Or not our homes, but others' homes. With those closest to us or closest to them, whatever. It happens. And sometimes it's because we don't think before we speak. We get a little bit out of shape. And that's what happens. But notice Nehemiah. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself. Nehemiah didn't lash out. Nehemiah didn't punch somebody in the nose. Ephesians 4 verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Nehemiah in this moment, I imagine, was a time of prayer. I would conclude that because so far as we've looked at the book of Nehemiah, we've seen Nehemiah pray first, act second. So I think Nehemiah took some time praying. I think Nehemiah took some time seeking the Lord's wisdom in this. 
God, this is a mess. What are we going to do in this? Give me wisdom in this. Give me guidance in this. I didn't come here for this. Show me what to do. Nehemiah considers the best way to go about this. Seeking to make peace, seeking to obtain peace as smoothly and as easily as possible. Paul shares in Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You know, when we think about this, and we think about this uh, situation like this, we do need to guard ourselves. We need to be careful and, and make sure that we don't cause a bigger issue than the issue that's already at hand. And this issue was already a big issue. Nehemiah wants God's wisdom as he handles this, guarding and, and watching over himself so that he doesn't say too much or do too much or, or say something he shouldn't say. And so he does have a reaction of anger, but he doesn't explode. Notice what happens next in verse 7. He says, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. Nehemiah brought these charges against them. He didn't ignore these charges because they were leaders. But he brought these charges to those leaders and spoke to these leaders. And notice he identified their sin. You are exacting interest, each from his brother. Now, that doesn't seem like too big of a deal. But they were in the wrong. God had shared with them a number of times that they weren't to charge interest of those who were in need. This is Exodus 22, 25. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. So many places God instructed them on how to regard each other and the treatment of those who were in need, the treatment of those who were poor. Leviticus 25, 35 says this, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may like may live beside you, you shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. This is exactly what was happening. Instead of helping them to continue to live in Jerusalem amongst them, they were really causing them and forcing them out. Instead of coming together and being one here in the city of Jerusalem, they were divided as a result of this. Leviticus 25, 39 says this, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee, 
Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with them, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his father. The year of Jubilee was the year every 50 years where all debts were removed. Those who were slaves that had been working for masters were released and they were no longer, no longer under that binding contract. And so instead of keeping the poor poor and making the poor poorer, they'd let them go and go back and have a reset. That's how they were to treat one another. But that's not what was happening in Jerusalem. That was not taking place. The people of Israel were ignoring the instructions that God had given them. They were clearly disobeying the revealed will of God. And what led them to exile in the first place? Rejecting the clear will of God. Being disobedient. And yet that's exactly what they were doing again. And Nehemiah comes and says, you're wrong. Anytime that we disobey the will of God, it's sin. There's, there's no two ways about it. Society can restructure it. Society can say it's okay. But if it's contrary to the will of God, it's sin. And Nehemiah, these are leaders that are here. And Nehemiah doesn't come alongside and say, yeah, God, it's okay. It's okay. Everybody else is doing it. It's okay. He doesn't say that. He says, it's sin. And notice what he does next. I held a great assembly against them. Nehemiah went to them individually. Now he's bringing them before the assembly. And you know, as we look at this, this is a similar pattern to what Jesus shared in the book of Matthew. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you a gen as a Gentile and a tax collector. Nehemiah did not ignore the situation. Nehemiah didn't put his head in the sand, hoped it would go away. He identified the sin. And he confronted them of those who were guilty of the sin. He confronted them. It was a public sin, and he rebuked them publicly. Look at verse 8. He said to them, We are far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who've been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. Nehemiah came to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. He came to Nehemiah. He came to Nehemiah came to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the laughing stock of the region. They were God's people and they were living in horrific conditions. And he wanted to return Jerusalem to what it was. And yet, as he's tried to do this, as this caravan that came with him trying to do this, doing everything in their power to do this, this group of nobles possibly some of them even came with Nehemiah, are doing the opposite. 
They're not building up Jerusalem. They're destroying Jerusalem, selling them uh, as slaves, uh, abusing them and mistreating them, continuing to bring shame upon God, which is what they came for in the first place to stop. Now look at verse 8. It says, they were silent, and they could not find a word to say. They had nothing to say. Because Nehemiah was absolutely right. He confronted them. They felt the conviction. They had wronged their brothers for selfish, greedy reasons. And they, uh, but, but, they couldn't say anything. Verse 9. Nehemiah's not done. He's just getting started. The thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies. This was bringing shame upon God. The taunting of the nations was growing louder because of their, because of their behavior. This is not good. Notice what he says there. Walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nation of our enemies. That is what he shared with them in that passage in Leviticus. That they were to instead walk in fear of the Lord. Walking in reverence with the Lord, walking, seeking to be obedient to the Lord. That's how they needed to be behaving. And that's exactly what they were not doing. Now, Nehemiah shares this in verse 10. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money. And grain. Nehemiah and others were loaning them money and grain. They were being generous. Don't you love it when someone shares advice with you and they tell you the steps to take and they do the exact opposite? Sometimes our leaders do that, don't they? This is how you should do it. This is how you should spend your money. But this is how I'm going to spend my money. And it's completely opposite. Nehemiah says, this is how you should spend your money because it's God honoring. And this is what we do. <laughs> we honor God with our finances. Nehemiah was being an example to them. And you know what? Nehemiah and his servants were doing okay. God was taking care of them. God would take care of the others as well if they would trust him, if they would obey him. Notice what he says in verse 10. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields and their vineyards, their olive orchards and their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you've been exacting 
from them. He says, abandon the practice that you've been practicing. Cease immediately. Don't wait till tomorrow. Stop today. Return everything to them. Even what you've got in the past from them, the percentage, return that to them. Give it back to them. And begin to follow God's word immediately. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it immediately. That's Nehemiah's rebuke. That's what he shares with them. Now, notice the repentance that takes place. Verse 12. Then they said, we will restore these and we will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and I made them swear to do as they had promised. Now, we see that action of repentance taking place. And Nehemiah wants to make sure that this repentance is genuine repentance. He wants them to promise and to make this oath and hold them accountable for the promise they make. Like signing a deed. That's what he wants them to do. There's no thought here of waiting till tomorrow. It needs to be done immediately. It's got to be done right now. And as we look at this, there was genuine repentance here. There's a desire to do it right away. Look at verse 13. I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and empty. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. So he made them take an oath. And then it says he shook out this garment. And this is similar to what we see when Jesus sent out the disciples and they would shake off this dust off the sandals of those who rejected them. It was a symbol of a curse. This is what Nehemiah does. He says, if you guys don't follow through with this promise, then God is going to be the one who shakes out the garment. You're not going to answer to me. You're going to answer to God. Because you've promised that you're going to do this. That you're going to step and you're going to be obedient. And it's, it's, not going to be, it's not going to be pretty. And this was not just some empty, meaningless ritual. They understood what was at stake here. And notice what verse 13 says. The people did as they had promised. They made this promise before God. And they kept this promise before God. It was not something that was empty. It was not something that, that they did it lightly. They did it with a full intention of keeping it because the repentance was real. They realized they had wronged God. And they took steps to make sure that that wrong was corrected. So there you have it. The resentment that was in their midst we see Nehemiah's reaction, and we see Nehemiah coming and rebuking them. But you know the thing that's exciting? Is that we see repentance. We see a change of attitude. We see a change of heart. 
we see a change of practice because of this genuine repentance. So what do we take home from this? I mean, what does this have to do with us, for crying out loud? I think the first thing that we need to be reminded of here is that disobedience to the revealed will of God is sin. It doesn't matter what society says. If we disobey what God has revealed in his word to us, if we disobey that, that is sin. Black and white. That is sin. And when we recognize sin in our lives, it should be something that we should confess as soon as we recognize it. It shouldn't be something that, hey, I'll get that to that tomorrow. Hey, you know what? January 1st is a good day to start living that way. So January 2nd, I'll get started. That, that shouldn't be our mindset. But you know, unfortunately, sometimes that is our mindset. And you know what happens when that's our mindset? We kind of downplay it. And then as we downplay it, we get to that January 2nd cutoff date. And we're just like, you know what? I'm not as bad as everybody else. You know, this is, this is okay. It's, you know, in the scheme of things. It's not like bankruptcy. It's okay. But we're living in disobedience. And you know, when we, we live in disobedience, that hurts our spiritual health. That hurts our, our walk with God. That hurts our, our ministries. That hurts our abilities to serve God. Because it's not fun to run a race with a rock in your shoe. Even if it's just a little bitty pebble. Doesn't it have a way of finding that one soft spot in your foot every time? It doesn't. And so it's important that we confess those sins, that we turn from those sins, we recognize them as sin, and confess those and turn those away. You know, as we look at this and we think about this, it's an age-old fact that the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. You look at Nehemiah and how he handled his funds, pleasing to God. But the others who had that love of money, who wanted just one more dollar, that became the evil. And because they had that love of money, they followed that evil, and it became evil, and it had an impact on the nation of Israel. You know, as we look at this and we see this, it's easy for us to look and say, you know what, uh, that's Jerusalem. They divided like that. That is, it's terrible. They really could have divided the city of Jerusalem, and they could have been destroyed because of the division. But you know the division within the body of Christ? is just as destructive. You know, 
Satan loves using those of us that aren't where we should be with Christ. He loves using us to create that little bit of division. Maybe we've had a bad day. Maybe, maybe we had a rough week. Maybe it's been a rough month. Maybe, maybe we just got a bad haircut. But whatever it is, we're you know we're not in the spirit. We're in the flesh, and we're, we're just kind of a little bit eh, growly. The right thing gets said at the wrong time. Eh, we become a little bit more growly. And instead of taking that moment like Nehemiah did and say, "Hey, you know what? This doesn't have anything to do with them. This doesn't have anything to do with that." And looking to God for wisdom and guidance. Instead of doing that, too often we run to Facebook. Too often we pick up the phone. You know what so-and-so did? You don't even think and stop for a minute and just hand it over to God. I think Christians are the only ones that eat their wounded. They have a good way of doing that. And you know, we should be cautious of that. We should be careful of that. We should make sure that we are guarding ourselves so that we don't fall into sin just because somebody else did. We need to be on the lookout and we need to make sure that that division, that that division is not something that divides us. Thank you.